We are in week two of our series, Guardrails. Now, as, as a pastor, as a, um, as a leader, I quite often I get people come into my office sharing about different things, some, some challenges they have. And did you know that the two most challenges that people have when they come in is related to these two things or it's directly related to? And it's this, it's sex and money, Right? Sex and money, so these kind of issues around that. And when we think about the, wor- the world or society, they think the church doesn't like sex and that the church wants our money, right? This is what the society thinks. But it's the opposite. You know, um, God created sex and he doesn't need your money. And that's, that's the honest truth. In fact, um, this message is not about sex. That's next week. So you can, if you got a bit excited, wait for next week. Actually, I shouldn't say that with that word. It just that doesn't seem right. But anyway, today we're going to be looking at the guardrails of money. Guardrails of financial guardrails. Okay, what's a guardrail? It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And so if we look in this illustration, if it wasn't for this guardrail, this car could have ended up in the ditch of disaster. See, the guardrails are designed for minimal damage. Okay, so you've got damage to the vehicle, yes. But there will be far more damage if there was no guardrail. In fact, there could be far more damage to the person who was, who was in that car as well. So guardrails are really, really important. And the purpose of a guardrail in our life, because guardrails isn't what we just need on our road systems, but we need it in our own lives as well. Now, isn't it so true that our greatest regrets could have been avoided if we had some kind of financial guardrail, some relationship guardrails, or whatever um, guardrails we need, these, these guardrails... Well, well, and I think the great news about it is the fact that you can now put guardrails in your life to avoid any future regrets. Isn't that so true? So guardrails are very important. And the purpose of a guardrail is to ding our conscience when we hit up against one of our guardrails financially, relationally, or whatever it is, and then we begin to back away from that before we end up in a, in a pit of disaster in our life. I think when it comes to financial boundaries, some of the things I want, I wonder, I wonder what I would have if I didn't know what you had. Think about it. What would you have if you didn't know what everybody else had? I wonder how much money I would have saved if I wasn't aware of what I needed to spend my money on. And then when I think about it a bit more, I wonder how much money I would have given to people in need if I didn't know what everybody else owned. And, and what I'm saying here is that I think I've got a problem. I think I need to book myself into counseling. And if I'm completely honest, I think all of us need to book ourselves into counseling, right? We kind of struggle with this area, and, and what it does, it kind of, um, uh, when it comes to the areas of finances, it kind of baits us to the edge, baits us to the edge of disaster, and, and, and it baits us to a place of like, of that I'm, I'm never really content, I'm always discontent, and this, is, and this is what it does, it draws us in, and we're not truly fully content, it lures us to the end because it's an appetite. And this is what's true of all appetites, right? Feed it and it grows, right? Feed it and it grows. And it's never fully and finally satisfied. For example, I know this isn't true of you, but this is definitely true of me. Okay, what's true of me is that um, I could, you, you could take me out for dinner if you want to, up to you. Take me out for dinner and I'll be like, whoa, I'm so full, I can't get anything else in my stomach. There's dessert. 
wow, well, what's for dessert? I can, you know, <laughs> because, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an appetite. Have you ever done this before? You had something to eat, you had dinner, and then you, you go away, you sit down on TV. Ten minutes later, you're in the fridge opening up the door. What's, what's your thing asked to eat? Because it's an appetite. Feed it and grow. And this is what happens with finance and with money. You feed it and it grows. Think about this. When it comes to your time, you're standing before God. Do you think God is going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Look at all the, th- all the stuff you have. You've got the latest iPhone, high five. Well done. Or will God say to you, what have you done with your time? In fact, nobody says this on their deathbed, right? They never say, I wish I could have spent more time in the office. Nobody says that. We say stuff like, I wish I could have spent more time with my family. I wish I could have spent more time, more time. more." T-. You'll run out of time before you run out of stuff. Think about it when we buy your, those who are into smartphones, right? When look, no one's into smartphones, right? Think about those who are after the latest Samsung, <laughs> right? You get the latest Samsung, the latest Android. And you're, oh, I'm so happy. Until when? Until the next Samsung comes around and you're no longer happy anymore. You're, you're dissatisfied, right? You're discontent, right? <laughs> so when it comes to financial guardrails, Jesus explains it best. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. In fact, Matthew chapter 6, it's really Jesus begins to address this area of guardrails and, and he begins to um, uh, teach us like how, we can, how we can master our, our money. So Matthew chapter 6, and the verse I want us to go to is verse 24. And Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And it's quite interesting because we, we're kind of like, oh, two masters? Oh, you know, I don't even have one master. And because Jesus is really shrewd and he's trying to bait you in. Because when we look at the word master, what comes to our thinking and our time and our setting, we think of a boss. Because you know, we don't understand what a master is. We think of a boss, okay, we can't have two bosses. Is this what it's saying? Well, the Greek word is not talking about a boss. The Greek word for master is talking about someone who owns someone else. This is what Jesus is saying. It's about, it's about ownership. It's about possession of someone. And you only can be possessed or owned by one thing. I know for some of you guys, you feel like there's some people that are possessed by a few things, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about being possessed and owned by one thing. Right? You cannot serve both God he says you cannot, be, you cannot serve both God and the devil. No, he doesn't say that. You think he'll say that. I remember reading this, this verse for the very first time, and I was kind of confused. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. I was thinking, well, that sounds more, it sounds, sounds more sense, Jesus, if you said the devil, because the devil is like the, the opposite of God. But he doesn't say that. He says you cannot serve both God and money. In fact, the word that Jesus actually uses is the word mammon. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is an ancient Chaldean word, which means money god. It's a spirit. It's an evil spirit, and it has one purpose, to possess and own you. It wants to own you and become your master, this money god. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus only names the spirit here on earth four times. It's the only evil spirit that Jesus actually names, the only evil spirit, which means... This evil spirit is pretty strong. So the the chief contender for your heart, interesting. 
The chief contender for your heart is not the devil, but it's money, it's stuff, it's things. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and mammon, both God or wealth or God or stuff. See, Jesus is saying the primary issue regarding money isn't even money. The primary issue when it comes to money is mastery, it's ownership, it's control. Jesus is basically saying this, do we have money or does money have us? Do we have money or does money have us? Which master do you serve? Is what Jesus is saying. Which master do you serve? Do we have money or does money have us? It's interesting that the apostle Paul would say um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he'll say it's, it's the love of money which is the root of all evil, meaning that money itself is not evil. It's the love of it that, that's evil. Paul continues this on. See, without, without guardrails, without financial guardrails, we're either going to veer off the cliff of consumption or we're going to veer into, into the side or to the wall of hoarding. See, it's the same thing. Consumption or smash into the wall of hoarding. And they both have the same thing, like consumption. Consumption is all about this uncontrolled desire to consume, 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 upgrade, 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 upgrade. The other is uncontrolled fear. What if I don't have enough? What if we don't have enough? And the root cause for both of these is the same thing. And it's greed. Because quite often we think greed is only, it's, it's about consumption, but it's also hoarding. Or sometimes we think greed is some miserly old man counting all his money, keeping it all for himself. That's greed. But that's not what greed is. The definition of greed, I said this last week, it's the assumption that it's all for my Consumptions. So glad my wife listens to me. So she does listen to me from time to time. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. She always listens to me. You know, and I always listen to her. Anyway, <laughs> that's another sermon series. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. If it shows up in, this is what it is. It's the assumption that if it shows up in my hand, it's all for me. If it shows up in my bank account, it's all for me. If I get a bonus at work, it's all for me. If, it's, if I get an inheritance, then part, of the, then part of an inheritance, then it's all for me. If I win the lotto, what are the odds of that? Obviously, God wants it all for me, right? And that's what it is. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. But this is the tragedy. This is the tragedy. When you live this way, when you live this way, you're living as if there is no God. This is the tragedy with this, and we don't realize that we're living as if there is no God. We're living that, that all to this life is this life. That's all. In fact, King Solomon would write in the book of Ecclesiastes, he would say, there's nothing new under the sun. Life is meaningless. If all to this life is this life, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. Thank you, King Solomon. That's an interesting read. In fact, a lot of people struggle with the book of King Solomon in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And that's what he's saying. So if, if all you think, all that is to this life is this life, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. What's the point? Who cares, right? Who cares? If it's all, all that is to this life is this life, who cares? Who cares what your think, kids think about you? 
You're gone, so who cares? Who, thinks it, who cares about what people who hate you, who cares about them? Because one day they're going to be gone too. So who cares? If this is how we live, then eat, drink, and be merry. Because tomorrow you die. Okay, this is Ecclesiastes. This is, I'm not saying this to you. Okay. <laughs> However, if there's something inside of you tapping in your heart, and it's telling you there's more to life than this life, and it's telling you that there has to be something beyond this life. If, if there's something's tapping on your heart, then you cannot allow your, your life to be driven by consumption or hoarding. It's all about me now or it's all about me later. Do we have money or does money have us? You know what's really interesting? I find this fascinating. In fact, I, I believe if, if you've struggled with finances, anybody struggled with finances before? Anybody in this room? You know, uh, it's interesting. There's a funny thing we do when we struggle with money. Even if you don't believe in God, you do this as well. You know what we do when we struggle with money? When we struggle with finances, find ourselves in trouble. Maybe it's your fault or maybe it's someone else's fault. You know what we do? It's an interesting thing we do. We pray. Whether it's on the way to the bank or we're, we're, we're talking to somebody online for a consolidation loan or something like that, we'll like have the short little whisper prayer. Or maybe it's flat out on the floor. Oh, God, it's me, Ants. I know you haven't heard from me for a while, but I just want to have your attention. I don't know if you notice, but I'm struggling right now. Right? If, you, if you've been there those kind of prayers. And, and the only time we pray like this, we find ourselves in financial difficulty. And what we're doing is we're inviting God into our finances. That's what we're doing. God, we, we, uh, this is your opportunity now to step into my finances. Come on. Come on, thank you, God. You can step in now. Anytime now will be really, really handy. I'm going to go buy a lotto ticket, and Lord, I know you're going to bless this. I'm going to pray. We're going to lay hands on this lotto ticket. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord. Hey, Lord, we're going to give this money to God. You know, you know, you've ever done that before? I've never done that before, but I've heard some people do that. And um, <laughs> do we have money, or does money have you? But here's the question. If we invite God into our finances when we find ourselves in trouble, why don't we invite God into our finances now before we get into trouble? Why don't we ask God to master us now? Because I think I've chosen the wrong master. Do we have money or does money have us? And if you're living like most people do, this is what it looks like for, to be mastered by money. This is what it looks like to be mastered by money. It's live, save, give. Live, save, give. That's what it looks like. Live, save, give. It's, I'm just going to live and spend my money on me. And if there's anything left, if I'm feeling generous, if I'm feeling the tragedy that's happened, I'm feeling compassionate, then maybe if there's anything live, left, I will give. Right? But I'm going to live, save, give. Me first. Me second. And everybody else third, including what God is doing through the church, third. That's how everybody lives when they're mastered by money. Jesus ends the dialogue as he has. When you read this, this passage in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, he ends this dialogue with this verse. And basically saying, this is how you master money. And this is the verse that he ends with. And, and quite often when we take this verse out of context, we, we use it for other things. But Jesus is speaking about this verse in context of money and how you can master money. So we put it back into context. This is what Jesus is saying. This is how you master money. Okay, do you want to learn how to master money and how Jesus says you can master money, right? This is what he says. He says this, but seek first. 
chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the stuff, all the stuff will follow you as well. Come on, so first, seek first. Seek first his kingdom. Put it first. Reprioritize, reorder, rearrange, rethink. Seek my Father's kingdom and his righteousness. This is God's righteousness. Jesus preached this throughout his ministry. My Father's kingdom is an other's first kingdom. My Father's kingdom is an other's first kingdom. Come on, if you want to master money, you got to seek first my Father's kingdom and you got to, and others first, others first. This is how you master money. Then all the stuff, all the things, that will follow you also. But this is how you master it. Jesus kind of flips this on its upside down. It's not live first and whatever got left, if I'm feeling I've got anything left, give. He flips it the other way around. And this is what it looks like to master money. It's give first. Come on. If you want to master money, give. It sounds crazy. Oh, Lord, I need more money. Well, give. Give in your, if you want more, give. Give first. Save second. And then live on the rest. Buy whatever you want. Go for it. Have fun. That's what he says. This is how you do it. So if you want to invite God now before there's a tragedy, we need to reprioritize by setting up guardrails against greed. So this is what it looks like. This is the application. This is the application. This is how we begin to apply this into our life. Give, save, live. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very honest with you about my life because I'm not gonna, I don't lead anybody where I've never been. I never ask anybody to do anything that we've never done. So I'm just gonna share about honestly of, what, of how we've applied God's word upon our life. Did you know that 16 years this month, 16 years ago, we first attended this church? We've been part of this church for 16 years, and, and if you've been here for a long time, um, you're probably thinking, well, you guys just arrived. <laughs> but 16, 16 years is a long time. When we first arrived here in this church, it was fascinating. Um, we, were, we're not, we weren't even married. We had five children. We lived in housing New Zealand. We couldn't afford rent. We couldn't even afford a car. We borrowed cars. I would, I would, I would uh, ride my daughter's bike to work trying to put her, I couldn't fit her helmet on my head. It would just sit on the top of my head. I started, like at, I started at 11.30 at night and I figured no one's gonna see me. So I'm riding her bike to work in town and then I ride it back early in the morning and, and I'm like, I hope nobody sees me with this little, but I couldn't fit this, honestly, because if you don't know me, I used to have hair, I used to, you have this big afro and I couldn't fit it on my head, okay, no, I didn't have an afro, okay. This is what, money mastered our life. When we arrived to church, I wasn't too sure we were allowed into church because we weren't even married. I was wondering if there were people at the door, can I check your finger? Sorry, no ring, you cannot enter. It wasn't like that in this church. This church was come as you are and allow God to deal with the rest. So we entered this church. We were mastered by money. And we began to allow, we invited God into our finances. And, and the first thing we did, I said, okay, God, we're going to trust you. Because this is, once money came in, this is how we lived. Money came into my hand. It was like this. It's mine. It's all for me. And we're struggling on that 100%. And we're like, okay, God, we want to invite you into our finances. So God, 
we're going to give you the first 10% of our income. So here you go, God. Here you go, God. It's coming, God. Don't worry. It's going to be there soon. Seriously, this is what it was like. Here you go, God. It's, it's nearly there. It's yours. 10% is yours. You know what happened when we began, when we released 10% to God? You know what happened? All of a sudden, what I was holding tight began to loosen the other hand like this. And this is what began. We were, I was like, God, I'm, we're trusting you with the 10%. At the moment, I'm struggling with 100, but I'm going to trust you. Because at the moment, money is my master. And I'm a slave to money owns me. And I don't want money to own me anymore. I don't want money to own my children anymore. And I, 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 I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to give you 10%. And we struggled on the 90. But God began to bless the 90. This is how we lived 16 years ago. And you know what? God began to bless us. We give via automatic payment. It's awesome. I love automatic payment. It's like, first thing that goes out, I don't even see it. It's gone. It's gone. Yours is gone. Use it. Bless it. Amen. God is good. In fact, most people in the church give via automatic payment. That is awesome. It was our way of saying, God, you first, me second. You first, me second. This is honestly, this is what I believe. I believe that every Christian, every Christian should support your local church. In fact, if you don't even go to church, I think you should find a way of supporting some local church somewhere. Do you know why I reckon you should, even if you don't go to church? Because one day you're going to need church. And church is going to be there for you. Do you know why? Because somebody funded it. So God, I'm inviting you into my finances. Here you go. So, we, so this, our finances look, look, look like this. 10% of God, we lived on 90. And we became youth pastors. We're students. Now we've got less money. Pastor said, you want to be an intern? Yep, okay. All you got to do is quit your job and become a student. Okay, let's go. And so we did that. And we were at a youth event, and I just felt God saying, I just really felt we had a discussion. You know, we, we want to start to give to others. Give to others. And so we, there was a world vision table out there. Because, if you, you know, we gave to God first. We set that guardrail. God began to bless us. And now we're able to release even more. And there was this world vision table there and had all these faces there. And, and I felt God say to, to us, you know, give you know, sponsor the kid that's been there the longest. So I asked the question, who's been there the longest? They reach under the table and they bring out this child's face. And I was like, no wonder they've been there the longest. They're under the table. Don't you know how this thing works? You bring them all out. Because what they were saying at this youth conference was it's only $40 a month. $40 a month, which is $10 a week. I kind of did the math. I think, you know what, it's doable. It's, I think we can do it. We just, we just won't have dinner on this night. It'll be fine. No, no, it wasn't like that. It wasn't that bad. And so it's doable. So I said to them, and I said, really, this is the child that has been sponsored? And they said, well, this, this little girl, her name is, is Modista. Modista is from Malawi. Malawi is, a, is an AIDS-ravaged country. Because of that, this child is $50 a month. And I was like, well, this child over here looks really, really good. <laughs> no, I didn't do that at all. I was like, thank you, God. You are awesome. <laughs> I love God. God's got a sense of humor. I chuckled to myself. I said, we are going to bless this child. And so we began to give. And, and, and this is how we began to give to others. And, and, and this was our journey of beginning to release giving and releasing the heart. This is, how, this, is, this, is, this is the journey of how money doesn't master us anymore. Beginning to release and release and release. Today, we give about 5% to others. I'll, I would love to say we give 10%, but we give 5%. 
and we, we sponsor uh, uh, one of the children in the Mungian village in the Philippines. And we also sp- sponsor the, the Children's Varieties Club in New Zealand, which is kind of like Make-A-Wish Foundation, because we're passionate about children, about young people, and sowing into their lives. And, and then we give in other ways where God leads us to give financially, help people out in different areas. So it's roughly about 5%. And see, our goal is to get to 10%. That's where we are right now. And so we set these, two, these first two guardrails, give to God, give to others. And the third guardrail is to save. Save 10%. Now, when you think save, you think save is for you, right? Saving is not even for us. It's about giving to the next generation. Giving. And so if you can, I will encourage you, if you can get into a house, do it. Because it's a non-depreciating asset. When you buy a car, it depreciates and it goes down in value. A house will always go up. So if you can, I know it's hard. I know it's a past. It's, hard, it's so hard to save up for, to pay my rent as well as save up for deposit. I encourage you just to chip it away at it. Chip away at it. Because if you can get into the house, the house is not even for you. You know who it's for? It's for your children's children. For the, your children. Because one day when me and Porto are going back home with the father, jumping up for joy, I would love for a house to be sold and the money from that house would go on to our children's children to help them get into a house. So even saving is not even for us. It's to give. Give to God. Give to others. Save. Saving is really not even for me. It's for the others. And then you live on the 75%. This is what we look like. We live on 75%. Go, go spend to your heart's content. You know, you can buy yourself a hairdryer. Feels so good on my head right now. Whatever you want to buy. A car, whatever it is. Go for it. But this is how this is how you put guardrails in your lives. This is how you reprioritize, rearrange, rethink, reorder. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Others first kingdom. Come on, Jesus says this. Look, if if you want to invite me into your life, you, you gotta understand where this is gonna take you. This is gonna take you to an others first kingdom. But let me tell you. You will master money. Money will not master you. It's easy for us to say, oh God, you're number one in our life. God, you're number one in our life. God will say this, show me the money. No, he doesn't say that. He does not say that. (laughs) God does not say that. But come on, come on, come on, come on. The chief competitor for your heart, the chief competitor for your heart is stuff. Is things. This is what's going to happen. In fact, it's probably for all of us. We're probably going to run out of time before we run out of stuff. Because when we're gone, all that's going to be left is stuff. We can't take it with us. You know what that tells me? That your life here on earth is time. Your stuff is stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be given to you also. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. And when you were able to put these guardrails in your life, Jesus knows this really well. Come on. You will begin to master money. You will begin to have money, and money will not have you. And I know what you're saying. So, Pastor, I'm living, I'm living 100%. I said, just start. We know we've been where you are before. We've done this before. We've been on the 
But when you begin to release 10%, God begins to bless and, and then we'll do the 90. Then, then slowly begin to build up maybe 10% to God. Starts, honestly, start and give it to God. Really get God involved. Then maybe 2% give to others. Maybe 2% save. And then you live on the 86%. And then slowly, 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 slowly begin to build that up. Did you know now, I don't know, most of you know, some of you don't know this, but now we have seven children. We have three grandchildren. A lot has happened in 16 years. <laughs> we have three grandchildren. Another one on the way, sitting in Naya's puku right now. And we own our own home. And we own our own car. God is so good. You gotta understand, this is not a message about how to become financially free. This is how you become free from money. This is about guardrails. Guardrails, when you sold into our lives, honestly, we've walked this out for 16 years and we've trusted God. God has never disappointed. We know what it's like to be mastered by money. You know what? For the rest of my children's life, for the rest of your life, money is going to be, stuff are going to be contending for your heart and I don't want money to win. In fact, your heavenly Father does not want money to win. Guardrails. Does money have you? Or do you have money? 